Coming up on today's episode, we recap the Jets' work at the draft in Nashville, including Colby Barlow. Plus, we dive into the big PLD trade to the Kings. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, let's get right into it here. Hope you guys had a great week. Hope you, I hope you had a more exciting week than the NHL draft ended up being. Hype, all the big trades, everyone's going to move up. You've never seen so much movement. Not a single trade for the first time in over 15 years. Um, Worked out better for some franchises than others. You'll probably notice that myself and my co-host will have a uh, ear-to-ear grin for the next uh, 30 or so minutes here because the Philadelphia Flyers, they are back. We're back, baby. (laughs) Just like that, we're back. The Winnipeg Jets did good at the draft too, but the Flyers are back. We won't talk about that, I swear. Um, but plenty to get into. I mean, it's pretty wild too that the draft happens, and we're going to spend a lot of the episode talking about that. But I mean, what are the only moves that's been made so far? The Jets have done the biggest one. We'll talk about the Dubois trade to LA. Pretty much went down as we all expected. We'll get some uh, trade grades on that one, and then look ahead to free agency, and maybe we'll get a trade or two. Just one, one or two from the rest of the NHL. We'll see. Uh, joining me once again, CJOB's Tyson Rewicki. Tyson, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Doing absolutely great. I mean, this, this is the best time of the year, and I'm so glad that the NHL made that swap or that change where the draft and free agency are right by each other. Like, it, it was so pointless. I hated waiting a week. Like, it was always you have to wait a full week for the for free agency to come around, and now they're back-to-back, baby. I'm so pumped. This is... This is the best time of the year to be a hockey fan. Yes, it is. Even though we didn't get the moves that we were promised and the activity that was forecasted. We'll see. I have my doubts, but we'll see in the next, I guess, 30 or so hours. If any team decides to, you know, have a couple of cojones and go out there and make a move or two. Instead of blaming the flat flat cap, why don't we go out there and show that, you know, what, we're not afraid to, to tango here. See if it happens. Uh, before we get into the draft, Dubois, free agency, all that, uh, quickly, Tyson, let's continue the tradition here. It's trivia time. And you've been given the task of coming up with the questions, and uh, you seem pretty confident that a stumping is in order here, which is good because you've uh, you've been on the wrong side of a couple trivia beatdowns over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I, I, two of my questions, I think you, I think you got a chance of getting them. There is no way you get this last question. There's no way, and, and and even like it's it's hard to Google. Even like if you if you tried to Google it, it would be hard to Google. That's this is where and it, it I'll I'll mention it once we get to that question. But you know, there's some there's some questions about the I guess validity of this trivia. But oh, I, I decided to roll with it. <laughs> All right, Tyson. Do do we have a theme here? Or is it just three random ones? Yeah, no, it's a it's a theme. We got contract theme trivia. 
Oh boy. Ooh, yeah, no, that's not good. <laughs> so I'll start off with one that I think I think you'll get here. All right. And uh we, we know with the Blake Wheeler buyout situation potentially being bought out. So I decided to say to look up what is the most expensive buyout in NHL history? Oh I know this answer all too well. It's gotta be it's gotta be Brizgalov, right? He's actually number three. Really? On the all time. Well, then would it be behind Suter and Parise? No. You know what? It actually could be. This list might have been from uh, a couple of years ago. I don't believe so. No, it, actually, no. Suter uh, and Parise aren't, aren't on the list either. Because Oliver Ackman Larson was number six on this list. All right. Well, then I, I, guess, I guess you beat me here. So who's number one? Number one is actually Vinny LeCavalier. Really? Yep. I, I think we forget how much money he was actually making on that deal prior to getting bought up by Tampa. And it was super backloaded. Like, I think he was still there for for a long, long time, even after he after he hit age 40. But Oh, so it was the most, like the bio with the most money paid out. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I think I think Briz had like the longest. Yeah, because that was still that would have been like into years. There would have been seven years left on his contract. I think so. Fourteen. Yeah, Br- Briz and Di Pietro too. But I, I yeah, I, I knew. I mean, I knew the Cavalier got bought out because the Flyers signed him. I then immediately had to move him out as a cap casualty. <laughs> but I, I don't. Yeah, I never would have guessed Finney was number one. Di Pietro was second too on that right. list. Oh, okay. All right. Give me number two. All right. So we're going to throw back a little bit to the 90s. And I'm just going to ask, which player made the most money in a season in the 90s? Just one season. Yeah. Not a contract. One single season. I like I kind of vaguely remember that somebody got like an insane amount of money like for one season, which is why I think you're wording the question this way. No, <laughs> it's, actually, no it's not. <laughs> no, well, there were so, a couple weird names. I could have done. I could have really sewered you, but it's still, it's a big name. I'll I'll just go with the guy that came came to mind. I'll go for some reason Sergey Fedorov. That's incorrect. Is it Mark Messier? Also incorrect. Oh, man. One more guess? No, no, no. I'm good at embarrassing myself. <laughs> In the 97-98 season, Joe Sackick made oh. $16.45 million. <laughs> and I was, I was actually shocked to see that. Mario Lemieux came in second that decade. Wow, that's a beauty. Now, that's... Brandon, on to the hard one. Yeah, oh, oh great. This is cool. So in, in 1977-78. Oh, you idiot. Bobby Hall signed a $1 million contract in the WHA. That same year, there was actually two players in the NHL who made a million dollars. Can you name either one of those players? I'm pretty sure I can name one because I'm I'm pretty sure it was Rick Middleton was one. Incorrect. 
No, I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> no. <laughs> it might have been in another season. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. It wasn't Rick Middleton. I was thinking of Derek Sanderson. Uh, yes, Derek yeah. Sanderson yeah. is no, I got one, one of the, yeah. Yeah, one of the players Sanderson. who won or who got a million dollars. Can you name the other one? No, no, no. I definitely can't. Goalie. A goalie. I mean, I'm guessing it's not. My first two guesses would have been either Bernie or, or Ken Dryden. It is Bernie uh, Perrant. Is it? Oh, Bernie! Yeah, yeah good job, Bernie. Yeah, so uh, we had to go. The, the one, the reason why I said what I said earlier about that last question is the website that I grabbed the, the numbers from. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how much research was done in, but you know, it seemed like the guy knew what he was talking about. So I'm, I'm almost positive Derek Sanderson was the first million dollar player. Uh, Possibly, I, I, I yeah, I, 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 I don't know why. I don't know the story behind that. I, I, it came up on Twitter the other day too. They, there was like an old school video of of Sanderson like floating, going like two and a half miles per hour through the neutral zone, probably because he just signed a million dollar deal. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to know the history and the story behind that because it makes. I mean, Sanderson was a big draw back then, but I mean, come on, Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito. Bobby Clark. I mean, so like, so I mean, let, let alone Lafleur and and the Habs, right? Like, you would have think one of those guys would have picked it up before that. So Sanderson actually, it, it, that, he was with the Philadelphia Blazers of the WHA as well. And in the summer of 1972, he signed a five-year, $2.65 million contract that made him the highest-paid pro athlete in the world at the time. That's that's mind-blowing i would have never guessed that i don't i don't even believe you even though you looked it up and told me that that is bizarre <laughs> bizarre bizarre wow Derek sanderson making dough yeah hey i wonder how many guys are going to be getting two and change in free agency this year i mean nobody <laughs> can make a trade because there's no cap space how are guys going to be getting you know three four million dollars per season uh, we'll maybe take a look at uh, free agency and if there's a guy or two the Jets could potentially go after, give them Sanderson money to try to fit them into the lineup here in Winnipeg. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that at the end of the episode here. Uh, but let's get into the meat and potatoes of it, Tice. I think we'll save Dubois for a little bit here, but the NHL draft is uh, freshest in everybody's mind right now. And the Winnipeg Jets, all the Winnipeg Jets do what the Winnipeg Jets do in the draft. They, they, they pick a guy who, by all accounts, shouldn't have been available by the time that they went up and made their selection. Maybe the big shocker of the night that was that it didn't start with the U.S. national development team. <laughs> uh, but the Jets went out and found themselves another beauty in Colby Barlow. And another tradition the club is continuing on, taking a scholastic player of the year. No dummies here in Winnipeg, baby. Nothing but nerds. Reading books, cashing checks, body checks, all that stuff. Um, a goal-scoring machine for the Owen Sound uh, these past couple of seasons. And um, that was it for the Jets. Thought there might be a little more movement, maybe with a Shafley Hellebuck trade, anything like that. Sanheim being floated around there, but no, nobody makes a move. The Jets are happy to say where they're at. And Barlow is the pick. What do you make of the Jets? first round night as a whole Tyson just making that one selection I love the pick I thought the pick was a great pick at that point and like and of course you go through mock drafts and you see that he was 
selected a little bit higher, high, or higher or lower, sorry, than his mock draft showed. But I, I really like the pick, and you always see like, like especially with a guy like with, with Barlow, and how the knock against him is his skating. I really don't think that it's going to be that big of a problem for him once he gets to the NHL level. You hear about how he has so much commitment to the game and he's a high character, high character guy. And he's clearly been working on his skating. Like it's, there's already been a a dramatic increase in his, in his foot speed already. And, you know, once he gets proper or don't want to kind of put a knock on his skating coach now, but you get (laughs) NHL skating coaches and you have, people constantly working on you, telling you things, making you watch, go over film. I think that it's, they hit a home run here. And I mentioned his high character attributes. And I think that's something that a lot of that the Jets front office is really starting to, to take notice, right? With it's a very similar pick to Rutger McGordy last year. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, um, again, no offense here, but I think it's a McGordy times two sort of a pick. Yeah. Like I, th- I think he right now Barlow steps in and becomes the Jets' second best prospect behind Brad Lambert. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody. I mean, people kind of go all over the place when when draft season's going on. I, I saw somebody mention this might be like a Kyle Connor esque uh, steal for the Jets in the draft. I don't know if I'd go that far. No. Like Connor was a pretty elite elite prospect that somehow was available in a really really strong draft. You know, thanks to the Bruins doing the whole oh my gosh they can get shabbat connor and barzell here um i I don't think i would go that far but to me there's no reason that he he can't be a high-end second liner that's a 30 30 guy for you and some people might say oh you know like that's not that great of a pick at 18 that's a hell of a pick at 18 If, 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 if that's who you pick every year then you're probably winning stanley cups a couple times a decade you know what i mean like that's that's good value in the latter part of the first round of the draft. Um, and then you take in all the intangibles into account as well. I mean, a great leader. The dude wants to be in Winnipeg. He mentioned that, uh, you know, a number of different times. Yeah, I think it's a home run. You know, he kind of reminds me a little bit seeing his highlights. I know the Athletic gave him a, a player comp of, of Jason Zucker. But to me, he kind of reminds me of Tyler Toffoli. And if he can be... He could be close to what Toffoli's given the Flames and the Habs these past couple of years. Uh, yeah, not a bad compliment to an Ehlers or a Connor, right? So I, I think the Jets did very, very well in uh, in grabbing Colby Barlow. And, uh, you know, I kind of wondered, I mean, the one knock on him might just be that, you know, he, I guess, physically matured more so than other kids around his age. So how is he going to do when, you know, everybody's bigger and stronger? And he gets to the NHL. But I kind of wonder too, Tice, if that's the case. Like, maybe he's only two years away. And he yeah. comes in and he fits into your bottom six. You know, you start him off on your third or fourth line in, in a couple of years. And you know what? He's playing regular hockey for you in his early 20s. So, I, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for the pick. And I think he's going to be a big-time player for the team. Well, and you always, there's always those that... that uh that knock on guys too that you know that they've grown into their bodies already but i feel like you can make an argument that he's been in his body that he's going to be in longer than any player in the draft you know what i mean like you are no, no, wait, stop. say that again say that again you are you are he's more been in his body more than any other what? player in the draft his, his peak his what? peak body his peak what? athletic what body even, everyone's been in their body that's not no, like, like, like body experience when, 
when you when you hear like a, when big guys get taken, you know, it's like they got to grow into their body. They got to learn how to use their size and and whatnot. But it's kind of the opposite. He doesn't need to learn how to use his size because he's been in this body for oh, so okay. long. He's he's he's, in his, he's been in his body. Okay, that may, yeah. <laughs> It's poorly, it's poorly worded, but I, I feel like I kind of get in my point across. It's, it's kind of a stupid point, regardless. But <laughs> anyway, I, I, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's and, great. And, and you mentioned uh, with going comparisons in a certain way with Kyle Connor. I had seen some people put comparisons where if he doesn't work on the things that he needs to work on, he could end up being a Kiefer Bellows type of pick. And I just think that is so, so out there. You watch a lot of Kiefer Bellows highlights from when he was in juniors, when he was at the World Juniors. A lot of times when he's scoring goals, he's scoring goals because of his shot. You know what I mean? It's because he has an absolute cannon of a shot. And when you're in juniors, playing against lesser competition, it's a little bit easier to get your shot off. You watch a lot of, Car- a lot of, a lot of Colby Barlow's goals, and there's he's getting into the right spot all the time. He's always putting himself in a better position to score goals. And I think that's where that's going to translate very, very nicely once he gets to the NHL level. So I, I really don't, I think at worst he bottoms out as a solid third line guy, like nothing special. And I think like you mentioned, he could very easily score 30 goals once he does get to the NHL. So yeah, I think it's an absolute money and pick. Yeah. The translatable is, is the exact thing there, right? Like he can, I mean, and, and they showed the set on the broadcast, um, on what was it Wednesday? I think there's only been three or four guys in this draft that have scored more goals than the past couple of seasons in in Canada. I mean, I think I think anywhere though, right? Like he he's a prolific prolific goal scorer, and uh, yeah, I agree. Like it's not a case of you know a guy with a great shot scoring thirty foot wristers, you know, night in night out on on goalies that are never going to sniff the NHL. Like he's He's at it around the net there, but he does have a high end shot as well. Like, don't get me wrong, that like, the kid can he can sling it, and he's going to be a weapon when he gets into the NHL. But I mean, even at the Ivan Alinka, you know, I think he led the team in in five on five points, didn't get any power play time, and he was still a point of game player for for Team Canada there. So I yeah, I, I just I, I don't really see a downside to the pick to be honest. You know, I think I think he's kind of a rare high floor but a decent ceiling as well on top of it. Like he's just going to be a middle six player for probably a decade here in Winnipeg if he wants to stay here. And by all accounts, he looks like he wants to stay here. And I, I kind of like too the the way the Jets are going with this whole scholastic thing. I mean, it's worked out well with Lowry, Morrissey. I think there was one other guy. Is I mean, R- McGordy was he's smart as hell too. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who anybody else in the team, like if they do any like – philosophy or like what, what other kind of classes they go to but like draft smart players that work hard can shoot the puck like like a madman you'll probably end up with a pretty good team so um yeah i mean i didn't see any any real negative downside to uh to the jets taking barlow at 18 so good work there um i guess Cole maybe Perfetti, the... sorry cole perfetti won the scholastic player as well that's what it was right right perfetti did you see um it was Chevy that said it. Did you see what Chevy said about Perfetti? No. Kind of, you know, go a little bit all over the place, but it was at the draft. Um, and he was asked, uh, you know, talking about the Dubois trade and how, you know, there's the potential for it to open up a space down the middle for maybe a Velarde or um, Rasmus Kupari, like whoever it might be, right? Like there's an opportunity for somebody to take that. 
I don't have the quote in front of me, but as as rare as it is, Chevy pretty much gave some major insight in that the Jets are going to try Perfetti at center this year. He like mentioned, and I'll uh, you know again not verbatim here, but said that you know it gives opportunity for guys to take a spot, and it's a great opportunity for a guy like Cole, who was drafted as a centerman, to potentially take a job. That like that to me tells you like he's going to be. I mean, maybe he might be this team's number two centerman by the hopefully not number one. And I love me some Cole Perfetti, but it sounds like Perfetti's got like an inside track already to be playing down the middle of the top six to start the year at the very least. It's got to be yeah. exciting. Uh, you, and you have to try him too, right? Like, the, especially with where this team's kind of heading right now with the direction it's going. PLD's gone. Who knows about Mark Shifley? Why not? Right? Like, he's on the team already. You got to see. Because if he does succeed in that role, your job as general manager just got a whole lot easier, like way easier, where it's like, oh, now we just have to fill one one center spot here. Because who knows, if he if he really succeeds at center and he plays at the, at the level that his skill level is capable of, then he totally could be a number one center. No, I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, like a Crosby level or a top 10 level, but you're telling me that if Cole Perfetti maxes out on his potential that he, he's not going to be a top 20 center in the NHL. Like I, you have to see what you have there. And if it doesn't work, then you let him flourish on the wing. Like there's no, there's really no downside in trying it out. And I think that's what part of this retool on the fly is. It's not just bringing in new players and new prospects, but it's seeing what guys on the team can flourish in other roles. And I think that's part of what we're going to see here this season in Winnipeg. Yeah. I mean, this is no shot to him whatsoever. I, I am insanely skeptical that he's going to be able to play down the <laughs> middle at the NHL level. I think he's going to be an amazing winger. I, I, I think I think he's more than capable of being a point of game winger in the NHL. I, I just I don't see it at least. Maybe he's going to get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger going into camp this year. But for me, I don't see it. Having said that, though, you you're right. You 100% have to give him a shot. Like you got to try it, right? Like I mean, and this is part of being a draft and develop team. You know, you take a guy that was a center and junior, give him a shot at center, right? Like it, this, this team isn't, is very, very unlikely to be a bonafide Stanley cup contender this year. There is so much more to gain with trying Perfetti down the middle than there is to what you might lose trying it. And you know what, like you said, if it doesn't work, he goes out to the wing and he probably puts up 60 or 70 points this upcoming year. Like he, He's going to be just fine. If he hits, you're right. It kind of it changes the equation pretty quickly here, and uh, maybe the Jets might be a little more competitive than we might think. Uh, so certainly, certainly worth a try there. I'm, I'm just I, I don't I don't think he's a, a centerman. I think he's yeah. a winger. But yeah, we'll I, see. I agree. No, yeah, no, nothing wrong with having a seventy point eighty point you know twenty one twenty two year old winger. That's just fine. Um, but let's hope he proves me wrong. Uh, quickly with the rest of the draft ties, Jets made I think four other picks. Anybody stand out to you? I mean, people can try to sound like they're experts here. I mean, we've seen these kids maybe like once or twice, maybe a couple YouTube highlights. I mean, I I, I like the the goalie pick, right? Like, yeah. if you're, if you're going to take a goalie late in the draft, to take the guy that took his team to the Dub title and all the way to the Memorial Cup final, played for Canada at the World Juniors. You could do worse with that in the fifth or sixth round. Yeah, no, I. I agree with that a hundred percent, especially as a your last pick. Like, 
as a goalie, if you're looking, if you're picking a goalie, right? Like you want guys who win everywhere they go, and it's not. And yes, he's played on some decent teams, but even the team can like Team Canada this past year, he's beating out goalies. He's outplaying goalies that have a higher pedigree than him, and it's and he just continues to show that too. So that's a that's a great sign there. And I and I also do like the Zach Nearing pick too. Shattuck is from. Shattuck St. Mary's, John Taves went there too. Like it's like it's pretty, like it's a pretty good school. Yeah, pr- pretty yeah. good school. I think they know what they're doing out there in Minnesota. It should, it should work out okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and like you said, I, I haven't seen him play ever, but by all accounts, he's a hardworking kid who's got some skill too. So why not? It sounds like yeah. he fits the mo. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I, I mean. 90%, I don't know what the exact number is. 90% of the kids drafted round three on don't really sniff the NHL. But you can all you can do when you look at draft classes the day after they're picked is, you know, what was the process like by the team? And I, I think Zach Nearing, no problem taking a shot on a kid like that. Same with Thomas Millich, a little bit undersized, which is crazy at six feet. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's tiny. You can't play goalie at six feet. You got to be seven foot two. Uh, but but he, you're right. I mean, he's played on great teams, but maybe they're great because he's a good goalie. There, there's that part of it too. Um, right. And then and, and, and even Connor Levis in the in the in the seventh round there was you know a lot lot higher on a lot of boards. So I mean, over overall, the Jets kind of do what they do, and you know what? Maybe maybe you get a cop out of this draft. Maybe you get a, a Hellebuck light. I'm not going to say you, you draft Hellebuck in, in in the fifth or sixth round there, right? But all you got to do is hit on one of those other picks because Barlow seems like a shoe in to be a solid contributor. You got yourself like a B plus draft. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Exactly. All right. We're in agreement. Let's move on. Then the big news of the week, Tice, I would say Pierre-Luc Dubois, now a Los Angeles King, the trade that everybody thought would happen finally came to fruition. And again, no real surprises there, to be honest. Pretty much the the trade that everybody had anticipated, at least the main pieces coming back Winnipeg's way were the same. Uh, the only surprises were that no other assets added by the Winnipeg Jets and maybe L.A. coughs up a little more than anybody expected. Um, let's start with the trade grade, Tice. What was your initial thought when you saw that the Jets got Gabe Velarde, Alex Ayafalo, Rasmus Kupari, and a second-round pick tossed in for good measure. Even better that it's formerly the Montreal Canadiens pick. Thanks for Dubois. Bon <laughs> chance. Have a great night, Montreal. Um, I feel like I'm in the minority in this trade, and I, I'm going to give it a B minus. As in, I think the value, given the situation they were in, the value is fairly good. I just, to me, it's just really not that big of a needle mover. I, I, and I've been, I've been kind of in the camp. That's a little iffy on Gabe Velarde. I think he's going to be a solid player for the jets. Do I think he's going to be a guy who's counted on to score big time goals for this team? I'm not totally convinced. And we've mentioned many times the injury concerns are a legitimate problem. Like having, there was there was a time, and this was before this past season, where they didn't think Velarde was ever going to play again in LA. They really 
were having questions about how his, his, back, his back was so bad. Yeah, his back was very bad. And, you know, this was the first year where he was relatively healthy. He missed a couple games, but nothing too crazy. And same with Alex Iafalo. Another thing, the guy who's a good player in the NHL. I don't think he's anything special. He's going to be a third-line player, maybe a second-line guy who fills in on the second line. And Kupari's kind of a – he's kind of nothing. <laughs> like it's, Yeah, he's a depth piece, right? I mean, he's a former former second-round pick, but – yeah. And, and pretty, so my, pretty evident by this point in his career that he's, you know, not going to fulfill the potential that he had when he was drafted. My sort of problem with this trade, and it's probably because myself and Jets management has different philosophies on where this team should be going, but you're kind of just in the middle again, right? Like you're making moves to stay in the middle. You traded a guy who's considered a high, a high value asset in this league, especially when he's, if he, I mean, we're taking the the contract situation out of it, and only wanting to go to a certain amount of teams. But I, I honestly wonder if, like, I could look. I looked at that new hook trade, and I immediately thought, if you went to Colorado and just said, "Hey, how about let's just do this as a one year rental? Here's Dubois. You give us new hook in your first this year. You would rather have that than what the Kings gave up." I mean, not necessarily that, but I, I, I'm not, I'm really not a big fan of Gabe Velarde. I, 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 that's that's kind of where I stand. I just think that it's. I mean that yeah that that's probably <laughs> yeah. If you're not a big fan of him, you're not going to like the trade all that much. There's and, not really and new, there's and not really a whole lot else to break down. Newhook has had a, a lot of problems too, and I haven't really been a big fan of his either since he's been in the league. Like he's he struggled to take on that second line role, that second line role, but. Yeah, to me, it's just it's just keeping the thing that really bugs me about this trade is sort of the mindset of it, and I I think they got pretty fair value, all things considered, with that contract situation. But to me, this is just a move to stay in that seven to ten range in the West. Yeah, yeah it's like, I mean, they they I I get what you're saying, but they they did the best they could with the trade. Although but, I, I guess the one caveat with that is. It sounded like Montreal offered a pretty impressive futures-based package. What that entails is maybe the the fly in the ointment. You know what I mean? Like if if I I don't know what they offered, right? But like if if it was centered around some of their pros, and they've got some really really good prospects there. But if it was something like, I mean. God forbid their first rounder next year, and then maybe a prospector like like that's where it gets into a bit of an interesting conversation. I wonder if we'll ever find that out because then that kind of gets into what you're talking about, Tice. Where you know what did you take the best package for the franchise, or did you take the best package right now for the franchise? Like right. that's and, and, and let's say let's say you opened it up to teams that weren't on his list, and you, and you're selling them purely as a one year rental. You don't think you could get a bidding war go- going? I don't think like, you, I don't think you'd get more than what the Kings gave up. Really? No, no. I I mean, and I I get that you're not high on Velarde, so that's gonna. I, I mean, cloud T- your... Timo Meyer. Sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting, but Timo Meyer and Dubois both just got very similar contracts, and Timo Meyer going as a rental got more than what the Kings got or gave up for Dubois. Yeah, but uh, which is Meyer's a better player, so that that makes sense to me. Um. But I mean, 
if, if, if you think Velarde is, if this was almost like a preview of what's to come, and if you think you just acquired, I'm not going to put, you know, point a game on him or anything like that, but I mean, even say like a 30, a 30, 30 guy, 30, you know, like get you 30 goals somewhere between 60 and 70 points. Isn't that what Pierre-Luc Dubois is giving you? I don't know. <laughs> like that, and and this kid can play defense up the wazoo. Like you don't have to effort and things like that. You don't have to worry about with him. Loved hearing him say as well. And unfortunately, Jets fans have to think this way. Love hearing him say, "I'm excited to be here," <laughs> but that's kind of a prerequisite nowadays. Like I I I wonder how far away Velarde is if he you know if he hits and takes another step forward then from Dubois right now. And then you get a, a, a solid, uh, we'll, we'll call him a third liner, a solid third liner, and Alex Ayafalo, and then some more depth in in Kupari. I think I think an improvement at least on what the Jets had on their fourth line for for much of last season as well. And then on top of it, a second round pick that's probably going to be what like a top ten, depending on how high you are in Montreal. Like real, like probably going to be almost a first round pick thrown on top of all of this. I, I think the Jets did extremely well here, and Chevy does it again. It's 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 insane. I've, there, I don't think there's a GM in all of sports that gets backed into a corner more than he does and then just hits home run after home run. Like, it's insane. Like, most GMs in that situation would be like, uh-oh, like, I mean, Chuck Fletcher, my God. Like, look look what's happened there, right? Like, what would he have done with a Dubois trade? Like, he probably would have given it. He would have given up Brad Lambert just to get like a, a Carl Grundstrom or like it would have been horrendous. And yet Chevy's able to get not only like fair value, but, you know, arguably win the trade while you're moving the best player in the deal. So it's not the it's not the byfield grand slam that I think a lot of us were hoping for. But man, it, to, to me, it's a B plus all the way. Pretty, pretty close to an A2 with just everything taken into consideration there. I think the Jets did themselves really well. It's just going to be now we have to hope that, you know, the injury concerns for Velarde were just, you know, a couple years of bad luck and he's turned a corner there and he's going to be a, a contributor for 70 plus games a season moving forward. Yeah. I, it's just, I, I really, it bugs me just about the, we, you mentioned about having the right process in the draft. I just don't, it's just something about, I still don't know where this team's going after this trade. You know what I mean? Like you just. Oh, I don't. One I don't think they do either, to be honest. Right. That's sort of. It's. I just would wish that there was a more clear and concise plan right now, instead of. Who knows? We might trade Hellebuck and Shifley. We might go into the season with them. Like we'll see what happens. Like, it's just stuff well, like. It, yeah. So let let's get into that because I mean that's really the next step for the friend. I mean, there's free agency, but I mean, got to make a decision <laughs> at some point here. And what's, I don't, I don't even know what the right you know adjective is terrifying or maybe optimistic hopeful worrisome there doesn't seem to be a massive market out there right now for especially for connor hellebuck which is just you know shocking that teams are kind of eh, i don't know what we feel about getting the second best goalie in the nhl i think it'd be nice but like i don't know if i want to do a whole lot we don't want to pay him nine million dollars like why would we do that Look what like he's he's not Vasilev. So like, like it's, it's just like this is weird discourse around him right now that I don't really understand. 
sounds like the market for him is borderline Zippo at this point. Shifley is just this huge question mark that nobody really has an answer about. Um, but I mean, even though it's been hard to make deals in the flat cap and everything like that, like having a $6 million Mark Shifley should hold a tremendous amount of value for the Winnipeg Jets, throwing him out there on the market. Maybe Boston is the move there, knowing that they're going to be desperate with no Bergeron and Krejci by the sounds of it. Uh, what, what do you do now if you're the Jets? Like, I, 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 it's, it's, it's tough, and I, I didn't think it might happen this way, but, I mean, for at least one of these guys, you might have to bring them back to start the season because you almost can't give them away for nothing. And you probably do get a lot more at the trade deadline than you would right now. Like it, it is, it's just a weird marketplace in the NHL. It, it's certainly not a, a seller's market right now. Um, what do you think happens? Well, just to comment on the seller's market first, I think a lot of the GMs in the NHL are just really that stupid, and they they, they really. I, I think what it, they are, and this has been the biggest display of it this year. They are so insanely risk averse. They are so conservative. So, and I mean, there's maybe only like less than a handful of them that aren't like this, but GMs are just so terrified to make mistakes. Like, I, I think that's it when it comes to trades, right? Like it's, it's like this self-preservation that, you know, if I, if I don't make a trade, then I don't get in trouble by ownership because I'm handcuffed by the salary cap. Like yeah. I, I really think that's what it is because I, I, I just, it's, it seems like we're gonna get basically a rerun of last year from every team, not just the yeah. Jets, but like it, it almost feels like there's gonna be no significant movement across the NHL other than what we saw leading up to the NHL draft. Yeah, and I think Florida too making the finals gave a lot of teams some false hope too, thinking like, hey, that could be us if we just, hey, if we just sneak in. We we might go to the Cup final, and oh, I think yeah. a lot of Love GMs it. sort of have that falsehood in their head, where they're like, "Hey, we were we were close this year. If we can just kind of keep the same group together, add a couple minor depth pieces here and there, just bolster our team a little bit, we'll be right there. We can be like Florida and not like the other ninety percent of those teams. It's, <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it, it didn't work for them; it'll work for us, right? And and they just ignore the other team in the cup final, right? Like how, how is Vegas doing? How is Vegas making their team good? Oh, they go out and make risks and just trade for the players that they want. Wow. It sounds Ruthless. like what a, yeah. what a crazy, what a crazy thought, but yeah, I don't, I think you're, you are going to have to end up keeping them going into the end. You know, I, I've been very vocal about wanting this to go into a full rebuild, but I can't really blame Chevy here because it doesn't sound like anyone wants to bat to play ball. You, you yeah, you, that's, I, 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 I totally agree. Like, what you, like, it's, it's, it's all like, what do you do? It's the same situation in Ottawa right now with the Brinket, where everyone there knows that the Brinket's not coming back next year, and they're like, man, like we, we were trying to trade you, but. This is just—we're not trading you for a B prospect in a second. Like this is stupid. You're well. Did, did you see what Darren Drager said about Sanheim? Yeah, he said just, said the Flyers literally were trying to give him away. Yeah, like you know, 
he, he said that, but obviously like you would have to give up like a, a second round pick or something. Right. Like, you know what I mean? But like, you're talking about even with all his faults, the contracts that like a, a second pair defenseman, you know what I mean? And, and, and teams are just like, no, like we don't no no cap, no money in. Like we, we just don't want to deal with any of that. And so like, I, I do, I, I not, not feel bad for Chevy, but I, I understand like if, if, if New Jersey's offering you peanuts for Hellebuck, you can't just trade him for the sake of trading him. Um, I, I think personally what we see take place, Tice, is I, I, I still think we do see Mark Scheifele get moved. I think we might see some teams strike out on free agents, not left with a whole lot of options, and they can circle back to the Jets and Scheifele going, hey, we can find a way. You know, we send some salary out. Yada yada yada, but six mil is is pretty easy for us to figure out, and we'll get him in the fold. I, I do think the Jets are able to find that one out. I am gonna be, I'm gonna be surprised if Hellebuck's moved at this point. There's just at all, no, the, yeah. Well, no, no, no. Like right now, like I, okay. I think he's gonna start the year with the Jets. I think he's gonna start the year with the Jets, and then they, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, there's just no market for him. Like they're just not going to get anything of of high value by the sounds of it, and I just think at this point, I know you know it might not be ideal for those that want to see this team lose more than they win, but you can take stock of where the team is at by the trade deadline. If you're, you know, in and around that final wild card spot, it's time you take a page out of Doug Armstrong's book, right? Who's done this two separate times with the Blues and make the hard decision to move a guy out. But I think Hellebuck at the deadline, with the salary retained, gets you a king's ransom from some team. Like maybe it's New Jersey then. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe a goalie gets hurt. I don't know. But I think that would be the time where teams will pay up in a big, big way. And I just don't know if you want to take a C or a D level package from any of the teams out there right now for Connor Hellebuck. Because it sounds like that's what's being offered for him. Yeah, no, it, it kind of blows my mind that that's sort of the way the league is now. Is that trade deadline deals are more enticing than offseason deals? When in theory, you'd think if you had Connor Hellebuck for a full season instead of for twenty five games in the playoffs, like you'd be, you would, I think you'd rather have him be with your team the full season, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, we blame GMs, and I think that's fair, but. I think Gary deserves the biggest amount of blame on all of this. Like, like it's it, it really is ridiculous. You see the NFL whoosh, cap going up like crazy, salaries going up like crazy. The NBA, Yosef Nurkic makes more money than any NHL player will make this upcoming season. He is, I think, I think the 150th highest played player in the NBA right now. <laughs> Every other serious professional league on the planet right now is seeing revenue and salary skyrocket, even with the pandemic going on. Meanwhile, Gary can't find a way to budge the cap up more than a half a million bucks. And then we got a money laundering operation going on in Arizona in a college (laughs) at ASU. Like it's so beyond ridiculous. And I think that too is why, you know, we're, we're at this point where there's, it seems like everybody's just waiting for next year. Like it's, they're not even trying to make moves now. It's like, well, the capital call up next year. We'll figure it out after that. But there's just going to be limited movement right now with with everything that's going on, and you know, the cap being what is it, eighty three and a half? You know, when it when it should be probably closer to ninety. 
And just think if it was 90, how much would change this offseason? Like, it, it would be an absolute bonanza. But unfortunately, don't, don't worry. that's not going to be the case. Don't worry, Brandon. Uh, Theme jersey nights are, are off now, so that, that should fix the problem. Yeah, get, get into the heart of the matter, Gary. Hockey Atta fights boy. cancer. Hockey fights cancer. Yeah, no, we, we got to get rid of that so that we yeah. – for no Distraction. reason. Distraction. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, just prime example of um, best sport, worst league. The NHL. Awesome stuff. Um, but free agency underway. And, you know, by the time we get to our next episode, Tyson, we'll be a couple days into free agency. Um, I mean, the Jets are never big players when July 1 rolls around on the best of times. I mean, do we expect them to do anything in terms of signing players? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Like Maybe maybe a D-man. Maybe they sign a right-handed D-man to a one-year deal or something. I could see that, maybe. And maybe I would... I always like the idea of signing some home run guys. You know, trying to find that next Jonathan Marsh or so. I know it's a little tougher when you have some top six spots locked in and spots throughout your lineup locked in, but it just doesn't hurt to add more skill to your team. Because you never know when you do end up signing that Jonathan Marsh or so or that whoever it may be and all of a sudden you get a couple injuries on your team and you have to bring up a guy from the minors and hey this guy was the guy that we signed he's 24 he needs a he needs a chance in the nhl let's see what he's got and then all of a sudden you have a con Smythe winner and uh, i'm not saying that's what's going to happen with all the guys that they sign but i just i like, like the idea of adding as much skill to your organization as possible yeah well there's apparently going to be some RFAs that don't get qualified, they're gonna that are gonna by by one of the insiders' words that are gonna shock people. So I mean, maybe one of those guys will be that player for Winnipeg. Um, but I I mean I, I just don't see it. I mean, they've got to figure out the log jam on the back end. Um, I actually like Carson Soucy, uh, the the defensive free agent from from Seattle, but I just I, I don't think there's room for him, which is unfortunate right now because there's just too many guys on the left-handed side there. Um but yeah, I mean, you, you look at what's available, and there's just not a whole lot that gets you excited. I mean, you're talking about guys that might fit into the bottom six there. I don't know. I mean, I, I like Nolachari, but I mean, how much is he going to be getting paid? He probably, you know, might might lean towards somebody more in the uh, contending status territory. But um, I mean, outside of that, there's Nemesnikov, who I know the Jets are are wanting to sign, and I think he fit in quite well. Wouldn't be shocked to see him come back there. Maybe a Miles Wood. Miles, like I, I think the Jets as a forward core could use a little bit of an injection of speed, you know, outside of Ethers and Connor. Nah, I mean, I, I've always felt like that's been a bit of a, a sore spot for the team, and I think he would bring a lot of that on your third or fourth line there. Uh, he's, you know, pretty big guy too as well, plays physical, so that wouldn't be a bad addition to the bottom six there. Maybe even a, a Pierre Engvall as well, um, but we'll see. I mean, I, I don't expect the Jets, and I, I think, you know, in any league, teams are smart that do this. I don't really expect them to do anything on July 1, and that's fine with me. But two, three weeks into free agency, that's where the real gems can be found, and we'll see if Winnipeg uh, jumps on anybody that fits that bill there. Either way, though, we'll get ready to break it all down when we get back at, at it in our next episode, and we'll see if we have a trade or two from the Winnipeg Jets side of things to discuss. Hopefully we do. I need a little bit more action in my life. Yes. Hands up. Hands up. 
Before we go, I want to hear your prediction on who's going to be the worst contract handed out. Ah, I thought you had a trade to announce. The worst (laughs) contract. Okay, well, you you obviously have someone in mind, so you go first. I actually don't. I just this just popped into my head right now. It's called the Ben Sherrod Award. Oh, (laughs) I mean that's a bad one. I don't know if we can call it the Sherrod. The Jeff Finger. I mean, there, yeah, there's some legendary, like just legendary, awful con. The, the Clarks might have to be the Clarkson. Yeah, yeah, it might have to be the Clarkson. That one's uh, that one is pretty terrible. Um, I mean, the only, and it's wild because he's like a pretty good player, but like, I could see Michael Bunting getting way too much money. Yeah, but I, I, I honestly, Tice, I don't think there's gonna be a crazy one like that. I'm gonna go with Brian Dumoulin. That's that's solid. Yeah, somebody like that. Like it's. I mean, a lot of these are usually defensemen, like defensive defensemen that get a couple mil. I mean, Eric Goodbertson was like the shocker of, of <laughs> yeah, last that year. Right? Was crazy. So yeah, there there might be another one or two like that. But I, I yeah, I don't know. I'm just not expecting a whole lot. The draft really soured me. Like Pierre LeBron, oh big hype, here it comes, move, 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 and then nothing happens. I just I'm not falling for it anymore. I'll believe it when I see it. Watch we'll now that watch now there be just blockbuster after blockbuster on on Saturday now that the draft was so lame. I dare you. I dare you, NHL. <laughs> I dare you to do a blockbuster. It's not gonna happen. No cojones, like Westy would say. Bring the wheelbarrows out. Come on. <laughs> we need something, please. Either way. Moves, no moves. We'll break it all down when we get back at it next week. But that will uh, do it for the episode here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. CJOB's Tyson Rewicki with us once again. Like I mentioned, we'll get back at it on Tuesday, recapping free agency officially getting underway. And we'll see if a Hellebuck, a Shifley, or anybody else from Winnipeg is on the move and uh, any other big trades that are made in the next couple of days. We'll get into it big time to kick off next week. Until then, though, enjoy your Canada Day weekend, everybody. Have a great, awesome time. Stay safe as well, but enjoy some cold ones and some good weather as well. We'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Peace.